Welcome to Oncology Onward, Conversations with Innovators and Changemakers in Cancer Care, a new quarterly podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Maggie Shaw, Senior Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care. Approximately 450,000 veterans every year who are on the cancer continuum from screening to survivorship 43,000 new cancer diagnoses every year, approximately 25% of which are rare cancers, and experts in almost every type of cancer and disease site. With contributions in both basic science and translational research, as well as lessons for the broader American healthcare system from among the only nationwide healthcare system, which has a total enrollment of 9 million. These are just a few of these statistics Dr. Sharif El-Nahal, Undersecretary for Health at the Veterans Health Administration, shared when he sat for a conversation with our hosts, Dr. Emilana Vicky and Dr. Steven Schleicher, that covered the cancer footprint of the VHA, from work within the newly reinvigorated Cancer Moonshot Program and screening for vulnerable communities to the Million Veterans Program, the largest genomic database of its kind in the country and of black Americans, including information on more than 150,000 black veterans. Welcome to Oncology Onward. These are conversations with innovators and change makers in cancer care. We're your co-hosts. I'm Dr. Emmeline Vicky. And I'm Dr. Steven Schleicher. And we are thrilled today to welcome Dr. Sharif El-Nahal, our inaugural guest, our inaugural innovator and change maker in cancer care to the podcast. We have someone who humbles all of us. Both Dr. Vicky and myself were meager residents in Boston at the Brigham. And I had a intern one night who I knew was smarter than me. But after you hear him talk, we'll know for sure how he has just passed us all by decades and what he's accomplished. Could not be more excited to welcome our first innovator who we're going to learn from today. Dr. El-Nahal, thank you so much for joining us. Now, before Dr. El-Nahal was president and CEO of University Hospital in Newark, before he was the undersecretary for the Veterans Health Administration, he was an intern with Stephen and I at Brigham and Women's. So, Sharif, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a little bit of a rundown from how you went from being an intern at Brigham and Women's to, to your role now. Well, thank you so much again for having me, and it's great to connect with both of you again. Um, you know, this is really the honor of my professional life to serve 9 million enrolled veterans uh, for care in our system. Uh, the president has such an ambitious and important agenda for veterans across the country and really just humbled to be part of an amazing team for that. And uh, My pathway uh, into this position was somewhat circuitous, as you're alluding to. Um, you know, I did my uh, clinical training and then uh, went into the White House Fellowship after uh, hearing about the access to care crisis back in 2014 out of the Phoenix VA. Um, I had done uh, research and work into quality and patient safety, but also uh, efficiency and access to care uh, using some uh, learnings I had out of business school around how to operate an organization effectively. And so I really wanted to take what I knew at the time, uh, which admittedly wasn't that much, uh, to bear and, and to help veterans as much as I could. And uh, lucky enough, I was able to get that opportunity and join uh, the Veterans Health Administration with the Undersecretary at the time to drive a priority around innovation and to spread best practices around access to care. And that's really when I realized 
how much I loved uh, management and leadership uh, as a track within healthcare to improve outcomes for folks at scale uh, and really just an incredibly deserving population, just uh, folks who wore their uniform uh, to protect our freedom. I evolved from that to be health commissioner in New Jersey, uh, which was an amazing experience working under Governor Murphy to advance the health and well-being of New Jersey's 9 million residents. I uh, found myself at an academic medical center in Newark uh, just under two years after taking that job uh, to improve quality, patient safety, access to care, but also uh, financial performance, which was really important for the safety net institution I ran in Newark. Uh, and really just fell in love with that community uh, and helped guide them through the pandemic, which was a uh, definitely a leadership lesson, uh, trial by fire, if you will, uh, less than a year into that job. And so uh, I think just had an extraordinary opportunity to work with incredible colleagues throughout my career. And uh, when I was asked to serve in this capacity, uh, you know, definitely took that opportunity because um, I can't see a more worthy endeavor, frankly, in U.S. healthcare. We definitely agree with you. And we're glad that you are the person who's leading these efforts for our veterans. And you just laid, laid, set the stage for us. Now, when people think of the VA system, I don't think cancer is top of mind. Uh, could you just share for us, you know, what is the cancer footprint for the VA so that we can put everything you're saying in, in you know, on, onto that frame? I think it's important to know uh, where the cancer moonshot originated when, uh, our current president, Joe Biden, was vice president back in 2016. Uh, he started the cancer moonshot with President Obama's direction to focus on uh, cancer advocacy, uh, the patient, prioritizing research, uh, and building healthcare communities to tackle cancer writ large. And you know, not shortly, shortly after he was inaugurated, the president and the first lady reignited cancer moonshot. Uh, with a pretty ambitious goal to decrease the cancer death rate by 50% over the next 25 years uh, and to improve the experience of people and families living with and surviving cancer. This issue is personal to the president. As you may know, uh, his son, Bo, uh, passed away from glioblastoma. He's a, vet a veteran who served our country as well, exposed to burn pits in Iraq. Uh, and so not only are we making strides within Cancer Moonshot, but we're also implementing uh, broader benefits and coverage, the largest expansion of veterans benefits in a generation under the PACT Act, which is a piece of legislation the president signed last August uh, to finally expand benefits to folks who are exposed to these toxins. And incidentally, a lot of those conditions are cancer. Uh, we have cancer over almost every disease site associated uh, with burn pits or one of the other exposures. And uh, so VA has a huge role to play in uh, the landmark legislation of this administration, but also because uh, we care for approximately 450,000 veterans every year who are on the cancer continuum from screening to survivorship. Uh, we also make 43,000 new cancer diagnoses every year and approximately 25% of all VA's new diagnoses are rare cancers. Uh, we do believe that's related to uh, different exposures <laughs> during folks service. Uh, but we have a lot to contribute, not only in the areas of basic science and translational research, but also in the clinical mission, how to increase screening to vulnerable communities. And I do think we can offer lessons learned to the broader American healthcare system on cancer. In terms of lessons learned, you guys are this enormous, enormous system, integrated EHR. I know all of us trained at the VA at some point in our careers. How do you guys take that large system with rare tumors that you guys are often diagnoses, diagnosing uh, the exposures and incorporating things like research, 
precision medicine, these large things to both improve care for these patients, but also move the field forward? Yeah, you know, we have a pretty large footprint when it comes to our brick and mortar infrastructure, but also now almost 400,000 employees, just to give you a size for the scope and scale, a sense for the scope and scale of our system. Uh, and so we've been uh, tying the system together on behalf of veterans for cancer care much better over the last few years through our national tele-oncology service. Uh, turns out because of our academic affiliations, we're affiliated with almost every medical school in the country. Uh, we have experts in almost every type of cancer, every disease site you can think of somewhere in the system. And so through things like virtual tumor boards and national tele-oncology direct services, we're actually able to get uh, the expertise of these folks offered to so many more veterans across the country, especially rural veterans. We've in fact more than doubled our sites participating in the service just over the last year in 2022. And uh, more than half of veterans who receive cancer care through this service are rural areas, veterans in rural areas. So we're really extending the reach of this and are able to offer, as you mentioned, precision medicine, screening services, uh, and so many of the uh, innovative pathways for cancer care more broadly since then. So that's tremendous, Dr. Alan Hall. Should I call you Dr. Alan Hall or just Sharif? You can just call me Sharif and why. <laughs> okay. It would have been funnier if you said, I prefer Dr. Alan Hall. <laughs> All right, so Sharif and Stephen, this is an interesting point, right? What Sharif has just shared with us is the VA has figured out a way to get the best possible care for every single member every single beneficiary with of the VA system who's diagnosed with a cancer, right? Every rare cancer is going to have a tumor board that they can be presented at and they can get state-of-the-art care. So the, the question I want to ask now is that really should be the case for everyone, right? How can we take that model? Because, I mean, the VA is across the country. No health system is across the country in the way that the VA is. And so I'm wondering how we can you can leverage what the VA has done and create a model of care of cancer care for everyone across the country. Maybe like, for example, through like a one oncology platform for the community oncologists, right? I'm just brainstorming now thinking of what the VA is doing and how we could build off of that for everyone across the country, not just, you know, our veterans, even though I'm very glad that this is being done for our veterans, but how can we actually innovate further based off of this? I often say that um, the VA benefits from two really important competitive advantages. And I think the first and most important one is the trust of the veteran. We, by far, I believe, are the best healthcare system in the country to address the healthcare needs of vets. That's been proved over and over again through studies that compare quality and patient safety uh, between VA and the private sector. Uh, but we also have over 90% of veterans responding to our survey saying that they trust the care they get at the VA been in the private sector and have been in other settings for American healthcare, it's really, really hard to see that. I think by far that's we're the most trusted when it comes to our customers. Uh, and that really allows us to uh, you know, work with veterans to take these really important initiatives and actually execute on them and take responsible risks, if you will, to, to bring vets the latest and greatest in care. And one of those examples is the National Precision Oncology Program. Uh, which started in 2016, uh, contemporaneous with the original cancer mood shot back then. And it really is an innovative program that makes molecular testing available to cancer patients in the VA for whom testing may be a really important prognosis uh, determiner in a course of treatment. So since 2016, over 34,000 vets with advanced cancer have had their care guided uh, by advanced molecular testing. More than 50,000 molecular tests have been performed. 
Uh, and we really, I think this will improve care that to vets at over 130 of our facilities, uh, just tying the system together with all of our experts to bring them to state of the art here. Um, and again, it's because we have that baseline of trust that we're able to bring innovative uh, treatments like precision oncology, which really allows for targeted therapies to be deployed responsibly and effectively uh, to vets across the country. Offline real quick, Shreve, because I have a, what's, do you have a century, what's the kind of like typical age of patients about the VA system with cancer? Just is it, do they flip, this is stupid, do they flip into Medicare or stay with the VA, the whole, their whole kind of life? They have to be TRICARE, I think. Well, uh, TRICARE is for active duty and retirees. And retirees typically have to serve for a longer in order to achieve that status. Uh, but to answer your question about uh, veterans with Medicare, about half of our patients uh, enrolled in VA healthcare do qualify for Medicare and have Medicare. Uh, but so many of them stay within the VA care because they've gotten that care for much of their lives. And again, the trust of the veteran string here has a lot to do with the fact that uh, we have our patients for a generation uh, under our care, decades, which is not common because uh, folks tend to change health insurance and health coverage when they move from job to job. We get the opportunity and the honor of caring for people throughout their entire lives. Um, and so that means a lot for trust. It also means a lot for care quality because we can manage that longitudinal uh, care pathway for a much longer period of time and leverage that trust uh, for, for these things. And so, yeah, we do have a lot of folks who qualify for Medicare, but still choose to get care with us. Oh, that's fascinating. And I agree. Trust equals patient engagement, which is, which is the secret sauce for a care journey that lacks so often of the time. Shreve, would love to find out a little more how you guys are using telemedicine and, and tele-oncology. Obviously, it was one of the things that came about after, after COVID-19, all groups, both patients and the provider side, forced to finally jump in, kind of jump a decade in terms of tech to use these things in. Where I practice at, at Tennessee Oncology, we have tons of rural patients that we use tele-oncology, as well as telemedicine for services like genetics, et cetera. Um, I know it's been instrumental at the VA for improving access to care. Any specifics about tele-oncology or telemedicine broader that you found successful with an older population often um, that we could learn for the rest of, you know, medicine across the country? Well, you know, as uh, the general population experienced this, uh, many, many more veterans began to trust telemedicine during the pandemic. I think that was a watershed moment where uh, every healthcare system was forced to deploy this in order to uh, really keep that longitudinal care going uh, for patients. And so VA was of course no exception to that. Uh, we had a, a very big infrastructure going into the pandemic. It's only gotten uh, even larger. And so the keys to success of course are the availability of the technology and connectivity uh, to broadband, but also uh, training and um, holding the hands of folks who may not be used to using certain technology in order to get them care. And we're addressing that pretty comprehensively, not only by implementing programs here with the VA, but some of the collaborative work with other agencies. So one example is we actually handed out thousands of tablets, uh, in particular to rural veterans throughout the pandemic. We just gave the devices to them. We were funded to do it. We had uh, funding from the American Rescue Plan and otherwise to be able to do that. And so we took advantage of that to really get folks the devices they needed to connect. We also partnered with the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, on a unique program that allows us to cover the cost of broadband to a great extent 
uh, to certain veterans who qualify. And that really helped because um, it's really setting the groundwork for finally providing that broadband connectivity. I do believe uh, the president's efforts on infrastructure with that landmark legislation uh, that was passed uh, earlier in the administration will also help because it's gonna connect entire cities, communities to broadband for free and uh, connect more and more of our veterans to broadband in the process. Uh, on top of that, we have uh, case management programs, social workers, um, and folks across the country who are training veterans at the point of care and their caregivers on how to use these technologies. And so the basic how to connect uh, challenge uh, is hard, always harder than it sounds, but I think uh, we're ahead of the curve there, thankfully, because uh, programs like National Tele-Oncology can be deployed uh, to good effect. Sure, that's, that's amazing. Again, another example of what we can learn um, from you all in the VA system. Dr. El Nahal, one follow-up question, slightly changing gears, but in, a, in an exciting way. I think that, you know, all of us think clinical trials are just a win-win-win for everyone. You know, they're a, a measure of quality for patient care, a measure of innovation. You know, you're bringing the field forward. My, my question to you on the use of this, you know, remote technologies, have you guys been able to successfully launch remote clinical trial enrollment? And if so, what were your, what were some pain points and what were some wins? Just, you know, I think that that's what a lot of us are trying to do now. And to hear a success story would be really meaningful if, if in fact you have one. Well, what I can tell you is uh, cancer care uh, in and of itself is really not, you can't separate it from clinical trials. Yeah. Clinical trials are just so, uh, such an important component of cancer care for so many patients uh, because uh, you're able to enroll folks in some of these national trials uh, often as, you know, one last try. Uh, in many cases, uh, to sustain life or improve life. So um, we are doing that uh, to a, in a huge way. We have uh, large cancer registries. We have many clinical trials. We're, in fact, the first organization to have multi-site clinical trials. Uh, we're trying to uh, make use of technology to be able to increase enrollment. I think that's a little bit earlier in our processes uh, to try to use things like telehealth uh, as the mechanism for clinical trial enrollment. A lot of that is still in person, uh, but that's a frontier we're exploring. Uh, what I can tell you is we have uh, a lot of assets for clinical trials and research that other organizations don't. So for example, the Million Veteran Program, which will hopefully hit a million veterans uh, by this year or early next year, is the largest genomic database of its kind in the country because it connects genomic information directly to clinical information available in our national electronic health record. So it's a very powerful tool for research just because of that. But it also happens to be the largest genomic database of black Americans in the country. We have over 150,000 black veterans uh, and you know, thousands of veterans of other demographics uh, in this system with clear connections between genomic and clinical data. And so as a result, we are really on the frontier of targeted therapies for historically marginalized groups of veterans and minority groups. Uh, because of that. And I find it fascinating that we're uh, at the front edge of that uh, because of the connection with all of our academicians across the country or researchers. Uh, one example is a veteran out of Nashville who uh, experienced intractable kidney failure uh, while being treated for uh, COVID. And ultimately, uh, unique pathways were discovered uh, in this veteran who happened to be Black uh, that are leading to drug candidates uh, specific to a mutation much more common uh, 
uh, in the DNA of Black Americans. And so because of that, we are on the frontier of potentially finding solutions to this that are finally tailored to reducing health disparities. Uh, so really excited about Million Veterans. And we also have our Apollo program, which is connecting not only genomic information, but what we call proteogenomics, the expression of genes and what that means for protein development and physiology. But we're connecting that profile with clinical outcomes as well because of that connection we have with our health record. That's a combined effort with the National Cancer Institute and DOD, and we're really excited about that. So I practiced the acronym for Apollo, Applied Proteogenomic Organizational Learning and Outcomes. Is that right? Yes. Very good memory. <laughs> yes, that is correct. <laughs> it's tough. It's a really tough acronym. That's incredible, wow. Sharif. Truly, just the, the wealth of information that can come out of the Million Veterans Program Knowing all that information, particularly for underrepresented minority Americans, is really, I'm so excited to see where that goes in the future and what a big difference it can make in the way that we treat cancers in minority patients. So that's incredible. We're really excited about it. And it's just a privilege to know that uh, the country has invested in these unique systems that will really spearhead uh, the path forward on so many innovations with oncology, but to also have partners out of the White House, uh, National Cancer Institute, uh, DOD, HHS writ large to tackle some of these issues. We're really discovering that when we combine efforts, uh, there's nothing that we can't do together across the federal government and very importantly with veterans through veteran service organizations um, and our partnerships with communities. So we're really excited about what's ahead. I think we're good. I think that's it. That's awesome. <laughs> that's amazing. I'm so excited about the Million Veterans Program. Truly, like yeah. that, I didn't, I did not know that existed, and now I'm like, whoa! I want to get my I didn't hands. Know on any it. of this existed before, kind of prep. This is phenomenal, and our oh, audience yeah. will soon know. Yeah, that's really great for this us. We amazing. really appreciate just it. What you're doing, the impact is is unbelievable. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, no, just a huge honor to work here. But it, when you guys are in DC, I expect to hear from you to grab. Uh, oh coffee or something would love to see absolutely you i think absolutely. i'll be there may 24th to be on the hill so i will find you excellent look forward to that i won't but at some point i'll call <laughs> all right okay. thanks Sheree. congrats on Bye, Sheree. thanks again thank you so much bye for all of us at ajmc.com thanks for listening to learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.